are two mariners, our ship's sole survivors in this belly of a whale. Its ribs are ceiling beams, its guts are carpeting. I guess we have some time to kill. Good morning and welcome to episode 344 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from BaseballProspectus.com. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh. Ben, how are you doing? Good. It's snowing. Mm-hmm. Is it snowing there? It's not, but it's the coldest it's ever been in my life in California. How cold? Uh, highs in the mid-40s today. <laughs> it's a nice, nice life. I mean, look, I know, but... <laughs> but also, highs in the highs in the mid 40s is not. No, that's pretty cold. That's pretty cold. Like you'll have many days this winter that get higher than the mid 40s. Yeah, uh, last week it was like the 60s. Yeah. Uh, all right. So uh, I mean, obviously, we're going to talk about the Mariners. The two biggest stories in baseball by far, I would say, are the Mariners. Um, one is that they signed the biggest free agent on the market this year, and in a lot of ways. Um, uh, even though there was enough enough buildup that it wasn't a a momentary shock, uh, you know it's it's basically a bit of a shock, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it was actually a, someone in our Facebook group reminded me of the episode where we handicapped oh, yeah. suitors. Uh, That's right. So I I went back what and I listened to part of that. It was episode two sixty nine. Uh, so you. You had a 51% probability that Cano would stay with the Yankees. I had 42. And then, if you'll recall, I had uh, a ridiculously long, long tail of 1%. <laughs> um, both of us gave the Mariners a 1% chance to sign Cano. Interesting. Yeah. Um, wow. <laughs> so we called so, it. Yeah, well, and the other time, we also talked, uh, you know, around the same time about um, Jack Z. Yes. I'm gonna I'm gonna say Jack Z. <laughs> keeping a keeping a podcast policy going. Uh, we talked about Jack Z when he got a extension, or I guess rather his extension from nine months earlier was made public, so we knew he had an extension for 2014, and we're somewhat surprised by that. Mm-hmm. And that's relevant because it turns out that um, Jack Z is running uh, <laughs> the world's worst organization, apparently. <laughs> apparently. Can we uh, can we yeah. uh, can it can we talk about Jay Z for a second? Just because we talked about him, and I want to talk about the way that he has been portrayed over the last few the, days. Do you think Do you think the Z and Jay Z stands for Zerense? <laughs> <laughs> it might. Uh, so so we talked about Jay Z and whether he's going to revolutionize being a baseball agent or just be another baseball agent. So yeah. I thought it was. It was interesting. Very interesting. Very interesting. And, and kind of, I thought it was going to be a bigger story. And then I think it got lost in the actual signing of Cano. Yeah. Uh, but for a while there, it was shaping up to be really interesting that it was being portrayed as if Jay-Z had, had ruined the negotiations. He had blown it. They had flown out to Seattle. They had met with uh, the people who were the subject of the article that we're going to be talking about in a little bit, mm-hmm. and they had all agreed on a ballpark for the contract, and then all of a sudden, Jay-Z wanted more, and and everyone was so upset. Howard, Link- Howard Lincoln was, was enraged, and that was it, and it was off, and that was reported in the, the Daily News. And so for a while there, it was like, oh, 
you know, Jay-Z is a rookie agent and he blew it by, by making this mistake, asking for more money of all things. And, and then I thought even after, even after it was then back on, like as soon as we started buzzing about that, we heard that it was back on and then it became an, uh, an official thing that happened. But uh, it's kind of interesting. A couple of the things that have been written even after that, like um, Jason, well, uh, Jerry Krasnick, Jerry Krasnick did a did an article, and he Jerry Krasnick, by the way, was a Twitter, a fake Twitter account. Yes, that's right. Ago, breaking that's right. fake rumors. Right, right. Uh, yeah. So Jerry Krasnick said uh, he he said there's a an industry perception now that Jay Z was just a figurehead. For the Cano management team, so he went from from being the guy who was blowing oh, it to that's so unfair. To one, oh once he's the guy who's blowing it before the contract is signed, then the contract is signed, and he's just a figurehead. And then huh. there's this quote uh, from an agent, so you know, obviously a, a rival here uh, says, "If the only priority is to get paid, there's always a sucker," and Seattle was the sucker. For everybody to say this is an A plus for Jay Z, I just don't buy it. That yeah. would have been getting New York to pay two hundred and forty million. Getting Seattle to pay two hundred and forty million wasn't some masterstroke. All right, that's actually first of all the uh, what you're describing is like straight up Salem witch trial stuff, yeah. right? <laughs> pretty. Uh, so I I though I think that the last point is actually pretty interesting and. Um, I was good. I thought about writing about this in the transaction analysis, but it wasn't really that relevant. Um, but we had, you know, had that whole show about whether Jay Z was going to, you know, revolutionize agent agent work or, or just be an agent. And you know, the answer seems to be that he he was just an agent in this case. That I mean, Seattle is there's there's nothing Jay Z ish about it. Seattle is a terrible place for Robinson Cano's brand. Um, and you know, this is you know. I, my guess is that Boris could have gotten Seattle to pay exactly as much as Jay Z, and Jay Z got his got him to pay as as much as Boris would have done, and you know the results turned out to be the same. And basically, what ended up happening is um, that you know Jay Z showed how easy it is to be an agent, more or less, uh, or whatever it says. But um, but not you know this is kind of odd, and and in a way, it's almost like it made me think that instead of instead of Robinson Cano benefiting from having Jay-Z as his agent, it really seems that Jay-Z has benefited from Robinson Cano being his client, that this actually, you know, benefited him in a, in a big way. It gave him credibility. It turns him into a, you know, big sports star. Um, but, you know, that didn't really do anything for Cano. I, I imagine that any agent more or less could have gotten Seattle. I mean, Seattle wanted to do this, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the fact that the idea that, that Boris might have, um, or a better agent might have been a little bit more patient and um, might have strung this out a little bit longer until there was an organ. I mean, one of the things that Boris is so good at is creating markets where you don't even think there are markets. I mean, the mystery team, for all the joke that it is, um, it is um, it seems to be part of a pretty effective strategy of getting two teams to bid when only one team seems to want to bid. And in this case... Um, if you really think that it's conceivable that in January the Yankees might have paid or even in late December the Yankees might have paid and that maybe Jay-Z shouldn't have taken or Robinson Cano, I should say, shouldn't have taken the first big offer that he had, 
um, then maybe that's right. I, I think that's actually not unreasonable. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's enough. There's certainly not enough evidence to say that we have a a read on what Jay Z's style as an agent is or anything mm-hmm. like that. And he, you know, got the guy paid. Um, but uh, yeah, that seems like a fair reading of it. Perhaps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't have a problem with that reading of it. Uh, no. I. I mean, I. I don't know. I. It. It seems like uh, sort of a some kind of petty tone to it. Well, it's petty. It's petty partly because of you know that like you just get this sense that no matter what happened, it was going to be turned on Jay Z. That there was a right. feeling that people didn't want Jay Z to be successful. I was. I heard. Uh, uh, on Friday morning, I, as I was driving back from dropping my daughter off, I heard uh, Mike Kruko on KNBR doing his you know regular baseball talk um, with their morning show, and he was going on about you know how Jay Z, from what he had read, Jay Z had really messed up, and and he he actually like he ends his segment by going, as far as I can tell, Jay Z peed the bed here, and <laughs> immediately after that, the the host of the show goes, so I'm just seeing now a tweet. <laughs> <laughs> from John Heyman. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was pretty awesome. Yeah. And and that there's just a lot of s- sketchy quote like that that Daily News story had a had a quote from an anonymous front office official who said, you know, the the fact that Cano was traveling around with Jay-Z makes you wonder whether he oh. wants to be a rap star or a baseball player, which yeah. is just so so crazy. As, Craziest thing, yeah. As you said, if he was traveling around with Jay Z in April, that would make you wonder whether he wanted to be a rap star or a baseball player. But in December, not so much. So uh, yeah, there's a lot of that. And then there's also uh, Jason Stark did a winter meetings preview, and uh, in that one, he he's talking about whether Shinsu Chu will sign, and he's saying there's there's one agency or one industry perspective that after. After Ellsbury signed early, Boris is going to wait a while on Chu. And then, uh, to quote, but there's another group that believes Boris is trying to show his newest Darth Vader rival, Jay-Z, and the rest of the industry how decisive he could be. <laughs> so that, that so he's going to accept an offer for Chu to show Jay-Z that he can be decisive. <laughs> yeah. So I don't, he's just whatever you want him to be, I guess. When you're writing an article, he's... He's this figurehead, or he's a guy who's influencing the other super agents, or he's the guy who's screwing up the negotiations, or he's the guy who's bringing them home. It's just sort of changes from minute to minute. Yeah. So, do you uh, do you think that Jay Z will have uh, more clients by say this time next month? Uh, Is this going to be like month? a? Yeah, I mean, are are players going to start jumping from their agents to him now that he's got this momentum? Um, sure, I could see that happening. I mean, players are always switching around, so inevitably some of them will go to him if he wants them. Yeah, I mean, though, like, in the next month. I mean, like, Cano wasn't just switching around. Cano went to Jay-Z, right? He, mm-hmm. he left his guy, not because he was unhappy with Boris, but because he went to Jay-Z. So I'm wondering if you think, and that's how it's been with all of his clients. They go to Jay-Z because that's that's the move they're making. Mm-hmm. So do you think that Puig goes to Jay-Z, for instance, or does Bryce Harper go to Jay-Z? Um, I, I don't think so. I don't you know. Don't. I'd be surprised if Trout, there were a, a Trout, huge you got, exodus. 
You got. I mean, doesn't it seem like Mike Trout right now is like badly under marketed nationally? Yeah, sort of. Yeah, I don't even wonder if he wants to be a rap star. Uh, All right. Um, So I guess we talked about Cano. Did we talk about Cano? What do you think of the the deal? uh, It's really hard to say. As you were writing your reaction, I said to you that I don't know whether anyone knows what to make of a decade-long contract. And, you know, I thought you... You like the deal and you made a, a pretty good case, I think. You know, when I when I read what you wrote, I said, yeah, that makes sense to me. And then, you know, you read three other articles that talk about how it's just the so irresponsible and why would they do this and they're not even contending, and you know. But I think he, I don't know, I wrote in my annual comment for him that if you have to dip into the long-term contract market, then... He seems like a decent guy to do that with. He's he's not very old, and he has been a near MVP level player, and he hasn't shown any sign of decline, and he's been extremely durable, um, and he does more than one thing well. So he's not a, a bad long term bet. And the Mariners had you know really almost no long term commitments aside from Felix. So you know, clearly they can afford it and clearly he's a really good player and you can kind of imagine it coming together and and a lot of the young players they have maturing and he'll still be around and productive for, for a few years. So I don't know. I don't hate it. I don't love it. It's, uh, it's really, I've become like a transaction nihilist or something. I don't even like. This I, is what, this is what, this is what Ben wrote. After editing the piece, I I had him read it, and I, I was a little you know nervous or whatever. And Ben goes, "I don't think anyone understands long term contracts. You just have to say something that doesn't sound stupid, and it doesn't." <laughs> it's yeah. I, I I don't know. Like I think it was as I was writing about Carlos Beltran this weekend, and maybe it was just because it was the end of a crazy crazy week, and I had written and edited so many things, but. There, I found that I, I had nothing to say about his contract, really. Uh, it was a bigger contract than I think you and I had predicted he would get and pretty much anyone had predicted would get. No one really called a three-year contract. and But, it you know, at this point, I think um, MLB Trade Rumors did a, a post on the amount of money that's been spent this winter compared to last winter. And... I think uh, Chad Qualls, I think, is now the 56th free agent to sign. And last year there were, I think, 112. So we're we're exactly at the halfway point in terms of, of free agent signing. Now, uh, probably a, a lot of the, the bigger names have signed, more, you know, disproportionately. So, so the per player numbers might come down as the winter goes on. But before Qualls, they had the amount of money that, that had been spent this winter as 85% of the amount that was spent last winter on on twice as many players. So, uh, you know, it, it seems like the market is just kind of crazy right now. And if, if teams are, we don't really know what teams are spending per win. We won't really know for sure until the offseason is over, at least. And as, as Russell Carlton said to me as I was writing that, 
you know, if it ends up being close to $7 million per win, which seems not crazy at this point, then you can almost make a case for any contract making sense. Like Beltran projects to be a a two-win player, a little bit better than a two-win player, and he's making $15 million and, he, you know, $7 million times 2.2, and it, the math sort of works out if you do it that way. So I've I've almost well, especially started. if you especially if you start looking at all of these long term deals as being, um, you know, completely uh, movable and reasonable with inflation. I mean, if, if yeah. it goes from five and a half to seven million in one off season, mm-hmm. uh, then you know who's to say what it'll be next off season? Right, and it, it depends. I, you have to you, know, you it, have to you have to figure out whether this is a bubble or not, right? Right. It I, it can't keep going up at that rate indefinitely. I wouldn't think, but. Have you seen what a what a dollar is worth in Zimbabwe, then? <laughs> no, um, but yeah. So I've I've gotten to the point where when I write one of these transaction analysis articles, I'm just sort of writing about the player and just almost skipping over the money because I don't know what to say about the money. Yeah, you should actually go look up hyperinflation in Zimbabwe. It's one of the most interesting things. Uh, uh, so um, I think one of the things that was interesting to me about the Cano deal, and I don't actually know if this is real because we don't know what teams think of themselves, mm-hmm. but I don't personally think that the, the Mariners are in a great position for this year. I no. think they're in a, a pretty bad position for this year. Mm-hmm. But their window is going to be sometime in the next five years or so. Right. Uh, I mean, it, it has to be. Otherwise, you know, the, they're, they're awful. They're the worst. Um, so I, I'm interested in this idea that the new waste year is the first one that it's not the last one or the last two or three, yeah. but that you that if you're a kind of a, a rebuilding team or a team that has a window coming up, that you have to waste the first one to make sure that you have the guy when you're ready. Because because mm-hmm. imagine the Mariners, you know, imagine the Mariners were in position to be an 88 win team next year, um, you know, 2015, and and then or say an 84 win team, and then everybody goes, all right, now's the time to go get your Cano. Well, there's no canoe out there, and even if there is a canoe out there, you know you've got you know maybe you've got four other teams bidding for him, and you're not necessarily going to get him, and then you waste your window, and so um, it's it, it was it was uh, fortuitous for me because I doubt myself that like an hour after the canoe thing, and I, I kind of posited this idea about the canoe thing that the waste year is now the first year. Russell Carlton, you know, more or less said the same thing about Scott Feldman signing with Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, where that's kind of a waste year, and and I I wondered whether the there was something of that in getting Dexter Fowler now instead of waiting a year as well, and I feel like these sorts of moves are kind of happening um, throughout baseball to some degree, and we never know. Like we don't know if the Royals really thought that 2013 was their year, or if they really thought 2014 was their year, and 2013 was kind of a half measure. But if you look at 2014 as the year where they really thought things were going to come together and they were going to build a few pieces together for that, then the James Shields deal makes sense in that in that scenario. So um, I don't know. I, I wonder whether we're going to see a lot. Of, and, and the way that that's interesting is that if you start seeing um, uh, bad teams signing players because they think they're going to be good teams someday, which, you know, they will be and they probably maybe should and the fewer players there are, the more incentive there is to do that um, the way that I'm describing. Well, now you've got even more pressure on the market. You've got more teams bidding for players all the time. Mm-hmm. And it is a that thing. What is that thing? A feedback loop mm. or something. Yeah. So. yeah. 
So is so that do you think it's a product of all of the extensions and the consequently the fact that there aren't as many good free agents available from year to year, whereas in the past teams could have been confident that when when they were ready to contend, the the guy they wanted would be out there and now they can't count on that? I think it's a little bit of, of, of everything that we've talked about in the past. You know, there's with more teams seeing themselves as contenders, there's more buyers. And with more teams locking up free agents, there's fewer players. And um, and also with more teams making the playoffs, there's a little bit more incentive if you're the Mariners. And even if you think that you're going to be lucky to win 82 next year, well, if you can be lucky to win 82, you're in it. You're basically as good as the Orioles were a couple years ago and you might as well invest a little something. I mean, there's, there's, there's an incentive to really never throw away a season unless you're really, really bad. Mm -hmm. Um, So all these things kind of make it, make a lot more sense for the Mariners to get Cano now. I mean, the idea, the, the, what I saw a lot of was people saying, Hey, Cano's a great player. The money's not so bad, but the Mariners aren't good enough yet. Mm -hmm. But what, when I mean, you know, what are they supposed to do? Like, 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 literally wait until the 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 night that they know that they're good before they sign Robinson Cano? Like, <laughs> he's just gonna be chilling. Uh, and they're not that far off. And it's not like they signed Cano for one year and seventy million dollars. They signed him for ten years. Now, granted, you want to be good when he's good and and worth the money but that's still five or six years you really look at this as a a five or six years of of a good move i mean these things always cross over around you know halfway um so you know they have five or six years which is their window in in almost every way you look at it Mm -hmm. so uh so that's why i supported it but now that's where it gets interesting with the david price moves because um there's like i get this feeling now that there's a sense that well, now that they've got Cano, they have to get Price because you, you, you know, once you're in it, in in for you know, once you've decided you're a contender, you, you can't go halfway. Mm-hmm. And I think that it works the opposite because by signing Cano, you basically create a you know more or less a five year window, mm-hmm. and um, Price is a two year window, and you're probably not going to be that good this year anyway, even with Price. Maybe you will be, but. Probably not. And so to me, when you get a guy, when you trade a prospect like Walker for price, you shorten the window. When you, um, and, and, you Unless know. Unless you, I mean, maybe you sign price to an extension immediately after the deal or, you know, okay, yeah. before the deal if, goes down. If they do that, sure. And and if they get some sort of discount on it, then sure, that, uh, that changes things completely. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they do that, that's a different situation. But if they just sign price for two years and then he walked after two years, uh, then I would say that that might actually make more sense before you sign Kano than after. And I, I certainly wouldn't do it after. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. Well, then to transition to the, the next Mariners topic, how how much less confident were you in your evaluation of that signing after you read Jeff Baker's article in the Seattle Times about uh, the dysfunction in the Mariners' front office, because we're we're attributing uh, actual actual motives to signing, you know, <laughs> actual yeah. reasons considered uh-huh. rational reasons. Uh, whereas if you read this article, you would conclude that the signing came down to Jack Z uh, looking at Cano's RBI total and uh-huh. liking it and uh, and 
and Lincoln and Armstrong uh, maybe not wanting to watch Nick Franklin because he's a young player. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that's the conclusion you could come to from from this article, which is uh, just a, a a takedown of the sort that we don't normally see because, I mean, often, you know, people in baseball don't often go on the record about other people in baseball while they're still in the game and in some cases still working for the same team. Um, So this is, I don't know if it's unique or unprecedented, but it's not the sort of story that we see every day. It's not. Do you think that, that, uh, and one of the reasons we see it in in this case is because Jeff Baker is a really good reporter. He's, I mean, he's really good. Like, I, I think that, I don't know that there are, I don't know that there are six teams or or much more than that. Maybe there are six, but I don't know. There, I don't know that there are more than a dozen teams, say, who could in any circumstances have this article written about them by a local guy because yeah. they don't have a, a good enough local guy. And you do see, I mean, baseball reporting is a constant drumbeat of conflict. It's just you never see it put together. You might hear that this guy has a clash with this guy. Then, I mean, you heard about... Uh, Depoto and Sosha's tension, and you heard about mm-hmm. um, you know Scott's service and and Sosha's tension, and you hear about um, I'm trying to think of other ones that I can say about Sosha, but I mean you hear drips and drips here and yeah, there. Yeah, it's all Wait. whispers and rumors and yeah, it's all one day stories. It's all mm-hmm. it's all you know it's it's a because most sports writing is you know 260 words and so this was a this was a true enterprise piece that yeah um, and and know, by is, the way we we got a listener email last week from from Brady who wanted to know uh basically whether I thought there was any point to baseball reporting because I had made a comment about how I would prefer to just hear about all transactions via team press release and not not even have to read about rumors or have someone break them on Twitter first um, so clearly, yes, there is, there is a place for reporters and for reporting. And this is a good example of that. This is not the sort of story that you would get via team press release. No. And one of the, one of the signs that this is like really great reporting and that Baker like completely owned the topic is that every, everybody is talking about this today. It might be the most read baseball article of mm-hmm. the year. And yeah. nobody has followed it up with any additional information. It's not like it's not like anybody was sitting on two thirds of this and just you know didn't want to run it or you know had it off the record. It's like he there he had all of it and nobody well, else has any of it except for for Tony Blantino going on MLB Network Radio earlier today and saying that that article is just the tip of the iceberg on uh-huh. on what has gone on in Seattle. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, well, and nobody has the rest of the iceberg. Like no. that's my point. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, um, so what do we want to talk about here? What did you ask me? Uh, oh, well, I I asked whether whether it made you any less confident in your evaluation of the the Cano signing or liking the Cano signing. I um, I. I, I'm of too much. I, I don't know. I've been going back and forth on this, on whether I think that this is a uh, fairly common story that is just uncommonly told. That, in fact, I mean, you know, there are uh, these are these are 
rooms full of um, of men, of all men. That's one thing. It's all men for the most part in these Pretty front much. offices, and they are uh, often uh, sort of jock types. Uh, they are also uh, almost by definition um, people who have succeeded in their field well beyond the typical person. And so they come into these front offices. There's certainly going to be egos. There's going to be clashes. There's going to be uh, politicking. There's going to be power struggles. There's a ton of money uh, at stake. And so I would imagine that there's probably a lot of conflict. And, you know, there's also a lot of, um, it feels to me that, I might be wrong about this, but it feels to me that baseball has a lot more um, uh, job job turnover, you know, guys moving from one team to another than mm -hmm. you would see in another industry, in another field. Mm -hmm. And I might be wrong about that, but I mean, you know, anytime somebody leaves a job, even if they leave on good terms, there's bad feelings usually mm -hmm. in, in some degree. And, and almost everybody who, almost everybody who's, who's quoted in this piece was either fired or, you know, let go or seems like they were going to be let go. Mm -hmm. Um, Bob Angle is not quoted in this story, but he's the one guy who left and left on his own, and that's pretty telling because Bob Angle is like you know a total he's a he's a total legend mm -hmm. in in scouting and and he's a great scout and and the Dodgers sold that move as them being aggressive to beef up their their uh, their organization and like this was a huge part of their push to uh, have long term credibility, but you know if it turns out it's mainly just Angle wanted to get out of there. That's pretty, that's pretty telling, and that's pretty damning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but anyway, what I was saying is that it's hard to know whether this is really outside um, the norm or not, and it certainly doesn't seem good. I mean, even if this is the norm, it still doesn't seem good. I mean, if it's just no. if it's just people sniping at each other and dysfunctional, and people you know terrified to. Uh, you know, to stand up to their boss, then that's pretty pretty bad. Although it doesn't actually seem like anybody was terrified to stand up to their boss here, except for in the story, Jack Z. Um, yeah, it's not clear whether he's afraid to stand up to to the owners or whether he's actually siding with them because he agrees with them. Um, my favorite part in the whole piece was the um, was the part where the owners wanted Felix Hernandez to pitch batting practice. Yeah, and because we did an email show on that one time yes. on whether they should. And it just it's it's so telling that like what the average major league owner wants is the dumb email questions that that we dumbly answer. Like yeah. like like not just dumb email questions because they're awesome email questions, but they're sort of intentionally dumb. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and that's what a, that's what an owner actually wants to do. I think my favorite part was probably probably Blengino preparing Jaxi's resume to make him sound like a dual threat stat guy, scout guy, and coming uh -huh. in with all these spreadsheets and everything that if if the story is accurate, he, he wouldn't have been able to explain even. Um, that, that was yeah, interesting. Yeah, well, we had, we, had, we had talked, uh, one of the things that seemed so weird about the Seattle front office was they seemed to be the first team that had uh, de-statted itself that had basically like gone yeah. into gone into a stat mode and then detoxed mm -hmm. and we that just seemed so odd it seemed kind of uh, like even if you just change the words you use it seems sort of pointless to 
uh, you know, to kick guys, you know, to kick this um, this discipline out of your front office. And and it, it's sort of interesting that it now seems like we weren't sure if that's the case or if it was just that they changed their people. Right. Mm-hmm. But it, it seems from this article, if you can, you know, as much as as much as this article is the final word. Um, it seems that they have, that they have kind of taken the stats out of the front office. And um, it makes you wonder about the stats. You you wonder if it's possible that, in fact, uh, a lot of, if the Mariners might have actually had a bad process for using stats. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, as, as much as this article makes Jack Z look bad and makes the organization look bad and all that, I still basically believe that Jack Z probably knows a lot about baseball knows sure. more or less what he's doing is probably if not one of the if not one of the five best GMs in the world and not one of the 30 best he's probably one of the 300 best at least he's probably pretty good at this stuff and he made a rational decision that he didn't want the stats in his front office and you know he he had wanted them he used them he had the the signs of it were all over the moves that he was making for a couple of years and he decided that it wasn't working so the question is was uh, was his process in evaluating it bad and he just overreacted? Um, or is there something about it that maybe we'll see a little bit of, um, you know, pulling back from it for some reason or another? I don't know. Yeah, I, there was there was an article at Lookout Landing about a month ago uh, by Colin O'Keefe where he, it was called A Glimpse Inside the Seattle Mariners Analytics Department. Did you see that? And he, he sort of, uh, he went and, and, sat down with uh, one of their their baseball operations analysts, Jesse Smith, and they they kind of, you know, talked about how they have all these stat guys and they look at this and they look at that and they didn't get into any specifics, but, you know, it was, they sounded like every team sounds like when they talk about how they use stats and, you know, like every progressive organization saying, oh, we... We take stats and scouts into account and we use all this new data and all these interesting things. And without getting into any specifics, it, you know, it sort of portrayed them as if they were as cutting edge as any other team. And it may be the case that that people within that front office are that way. But if this, you know, if this story portrays things as they actually are, then it it doesn't really matter if there are a few analysts or stat guys in that department who are doing cutting edge things, because if, if this is the case, then they're not going to get heard anyway. Um, so I, I don't know. We often, we judge teams by, you know, how big their analytics department is and, and what they say in interviews about what sort of stats they use. And maybe that's not such an accurate reflection of of what they're actually doing in many cases. Even if they have smart people doing cutting edge stuff, if the person at the top is not listening, or or the owners who are you know really at the top are not listening, then all that stuff is sort of in vain. Mm-hmm. I wonder if there's a way to um, I wonder if there's a way to start looking at organizations. And their roster turnover as, I don't know, somehow measurable. Because I don't, I don't know if it's a bad thing or not that that guys within a front office hate each other. Like I don't know if front office chemistry matters. Mm-hmm. Maybe it does. Um, you know, it seems like it could, and and it seems like it might not be a huge deal. I mean, there's different departments that are all going to have their sort of parochial interests, uh, like in in a lot of companies. But 
if Angle leaves, that's bad. And if, you know, maybe if Blangino leaves, maybe that's bad. And maybe if you're losing, you know, if, if Fusco leaves, maybe that's bad. I mean, if you're losing guys who you don't otherwise want to lose mm-hmm. because they hate working for you, that's <laughs> not, a pretty bad. It's not good. It's not good. And and so, um, so I guess that I would say that um, to the extent that they're not able to keep smart people around, uh, that would make me feel down about the Mariners mm-hmm. front office. Um, I don't know though. I don't know. It's really hard to say. I mean, the thing about it is that even, if, even, you know, getting past the, the sort of sinister way that you say, this is just the tip of the iceberg. This literally is, well, it's not literally, this figuratively is just <laughs> the tip of the iceberg of their front office. There are so many things we still don't know about their front office, good and bad. Uh, for starters, there are scores of people who didn't quit and who, who aren't talking. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, even if they are talking, they're all just individual perspectives. They have skewed visions of how things work. And nobody has a, a 100% omniscient vision of how things are going. And so, like, we actually don't know that much about the Mariners front office even right now. So it's hard to it's hard to draw conclusions or, or say much. I mean, we know that some people hated some other people. It seems to have cost them some talented guys. Uh, Jack Z might not be as smart. Well, he's... Yeah, I mean, we'd already basically had had come to the conclusion that uh, that he wasn't the elite general manager that for two months we thought he was, and the Mariners might be uh, more of the Phillies type of front office than the you know Cardinals or you know Indians front office. Yeah, is, not all that's this, about what we know, right? Right. Yeah, not all of this is is new information in this article. It, I mean, it, we knew about sort of the 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 Josh Lukey situation and and mm-hmm. the idea that they didn't know about his background before they traded with him, which never seemed all that credible. And Blengino in the article talks about how Zerensic became, oh, I said it, uh, became obsessed with power hitters last winter and began ignoring everything else, which is something that we talked about on the podcast, how that yeah. sort of seemed to be the case. Um mm-hmm. So it's not all it's not all new and fresh and surprising, but it was surprising to hear it stated out in the open as much as it yeah. was. Yeah, um, more than it, more than anything, the story is that people spoke on the record. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what we're reacting to. If this had all been off the record stuff, be- yeah, it because, wouldn't have hit that hard. Be- yeah, because I wonder I wonder what the perception is of the people who are talking in this article. If if another front office is reading this article, as of course they all did, uh, would they be less willing to hire these people who went on the record and criticized their boss, even if they even if they believe that that the criticisms are fair? Uh, you know, they wouldn't want to be the subject of this sort of article themselves someday. Yeah, I mean, certainly, I I would guess that. Probably it's not a big deal for Eric Wedge. Managers uh, kind of are allowed to talk a lot, but for the other guys, you would think so. Yeah. I was reading, uh, after I read this article, I was reading the, the Sabre Research Journal, and there was an article about the Federal League, uh, the, the third rival major league, like in 1914, 15 or so. And there was this quote by a guy named Robert Ward, who was a, a Federal League vice president, and uh, he was he was a baker, uh, and he came from a long line of bakers. 
and he got into baseball and everyone questioned what he knew about baseball and how he would be able to to help run a team knowing nothing but bread. Uh, <laughs> and so he said, uh, quote, I never knew there was any black art about baseball. Judging from some of the men I have met in the profession and the success they have made, I would not say that intelligence of the first order was necessary to a rather complete mastery of the game. Uh, so I guess that <laughs> that maybe is is my takeaway from this whole situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, All right. it's a different kind of intelligence. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Send us emails at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. <laughs>